Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Exodus, the second chapter. We talked about Israel in bondage in chapter 1, and we talk, talked about the birth of Moses, the deliverer, in chapter 2. And we got down to about a verse 11 where uh, we'll pick up with what happened when Moses was grown uh, of, of the second chapter, 2, verse 11. And in the third chapter, we'll see Moses call and how he answered that and some other things. But let's look at chapter 2, verse 11. It says, It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied one of an Egyptian, spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. You know, I like that where it says he looked this way and that way. When you start looking around to see if what you're about to do is right or wrong, you're in trouble. And he knew it was the wrong thing to do. So when you start, uh, sin causes people to look this way and that way. And had he been straightforward, he'd walk straight up to him and says, we're not going to put up with this. And if God had been in it, he wouldn't have had to look any direction, right? But straightforward and, and face the situation square in the face. Anyway, uh, let's go on. And when he went out of the, on the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said uh, to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? Now here's two Christian brothers, or two Hebrew brothers, that are uh, at odds. And he said, Who made thee a prince? Uh, he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So uh, Moses ran away from the, from the children of Israel at this point in time. And you know, uh, Paul gives us, I mean Stephen, or uh, actually in the New Testament, not Paul, but uh, Paul later preached Stephen's sermon, which is sometimes done by preachers. You know, one preacher will preach a good sermon, another one picks it up. So Stephen preached a good one, and Paul preached it again later. But anyway, in the seventh chapter of the book of um, Acts, we find that here's what the story uh, says about uh, uh, as Stephen was preaching the Old Testament. Uh, let's read verses 22 through 25. This same situation that we referred to. Acts 7, verse 22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians... And was mighty in words and in deeds, and when he was full forty years old. Now, it was forty years old. It came to pass it, in, uh, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Now, this is the same incident that we're talking about. When Moses was grown, and it says, And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. Now, here's the verse I want you to see, verse 25. For he supposed, he supposed. Don't ever take anything for granted, friend. He supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. That is a very important verse. So when Moses, back in Exodus now, when Moses came unto his brethren, even though he had not received the divine call that you find in the third chapter of the book of Exodus at the burning bush when he was officially called, God had already begun to work on his heart, and he already had an inkling. In other words, we might say that he, he was feeling the call to answer uh, to the ministry. And he was under the impression that now, you know, God is calling him. 
And that's why he went to his brethren. And it says he supposed that they would have understood that God by his hand would deliver them. But they understood not. So he was really a little premature in answering the call of God. And uh, actually about 40 years premature. Because God says to Moses, I've got to give you some training in the seminary at the backside of the desert for 40 years. And then you come back and deliver the children of Israel. And there he would call him into his ministry at the burning bush. And you'll see that as we read the third chapter. You know, sometimes young preachers, they get out and they say, Oh yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. And they just go out all uh, enthused about doing it without really realizing that there's training to be done. And there's, there's some things that they need, to ta- they need to count the cost. Moses need to be trained in the field of obscurity that he might shine in the blaze of glory and go out and deliver the children of Israel after God would officially call him and anoint him to do the work. And I believe that's a great uh, thing that needs to be understood this day and hour. You know, there's been many a young man that in their teen ages, teen years and older, along in that age, surrendered to be a missionary, surrendered to be a preacher, or full-time service to God. And then about a year or two later, you find they've got all kinds of change of plans. And the reason they haven't counted the cost, they haven't thought it through, and they just have an impulse or an urge to do certain things for God. Moses meant well when he went to, to uh, uh, rescue one of his brothers from the Egyptian. And then he meant well when he went out to try to reconcile these two brothers that were fighting against each other. And Moses supposed that they would understand that he felt of God that he, he, he could be of help. But he was a little premature. And later on, he, he was really divinely called to do the work that God had for him to do. Let's go on and read it on down. Uh, in verse uh, 14, they said, Who made the, You have chapter 2, verse 14, Exodus. Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Moses uh, was misunderstood in his motives, wasn't he? Even by his own brethren. Look at that. He thought they would understand that he really was for them. And yet they said, Well, who made you a ruler or a judge over us? If we could sometimes see the divine hand of God upon the ministry and upon men that God had put in places of a position to reconcile and to soothe and to relieve and to deliver, sometimes we wouldn't see in the light of the flesh, would we? We'd see that there's a purpose for that ministry. In verse 16, it says, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water uh, their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. You can see the character of this man of Moses. He wasn't going to let the oppressed and those that are trodden down be put underfoot all the time. He just wasn't that kind of a man. He helped them, didn't he? And let them water the flocks. And when they came to rule their father, he said, How is it that you are come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds. And also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. We've just prospered today because we haven't had all the opposition that we've had before. And look, and he, in verse 20, and he said unto his daughters, And where is he? Why is it, it, why is it that ye have left the man? Now see, they thought he was an Egyptian. Of course, Moses was a Hebrew. But they thought uh, his attire and his appearance and having come from there, that he was an Egyptian. And... He says, call him that he may eat bread. In verse 21, And Moses was content 
content to dwell with a man, and he gave Moses uh, Zipporah. Some people say Zephora, but Zipporah or Zephora, his daughter. And she bare him a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. Gershom means a stranger. came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. You know, uh, God is open to the cry of his people when they're under oppression. And it's the proper thing for us to pray in time of need. You know, that's exactly what we need to do is pray. And God heard their groaning. Now look, verse 24. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. Listen. Look at that. God heard and God remembered. Now then, God heard. He not only heard because of their oppression and everything they were undergoing, but God remembered His covenant. You might say today, that God looks down and He hears His children and He remembers the covenant of grace through Jesus Christ and He remembers that God's Word says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that covenant of grace through the shed blood of Christ, God always remembers. And when we come in that way, He's going to honor it. In verse 25, And God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them. And then chapter 3 now. You know, in this third chapter, you're going to find Moses keeping the flock and Moses seeing the flame and Moses hearing a voice and Moses obeying the call. Four very special things. Keeping the flock, seeing the flame, hearing the voice, and obeying the call. These are important things because God chooses men and women. He chooses people that are busy. You know, if, if God ever calls anybody in the Bible, you'll find that every time He calls someone that's doing something. You look through it and find out. Moses was keeping the flock. What was Peter and those apostles doing? They were about their fishing business, right? Gideon was at the threshing floor. Amos was a herdman take, ten, taking care of the flock and tending the uh, sycamore trees, the, ripe fi- the figs, and puncturing the wild figs so it would ripe, ripen. Gather of sycamore fruit, it's called. And uh, you take David. What was he doing? About his father's business, tending his flocks. You go through the Bible and you find almost every instance. I don't know of an instance. There may be some. But I don't know of an instance where God called someone that wasn't busy doing something. And uh, so this idea of old, you know, uh, it's kind of a, a thing that goes around in the public eye sometimes that a guy surrenders to preach because he can't do anything else. Have you ever seen Well, he just started preaching. You know, like that's the last resort. It's kind of like if, if he can't do anything, he can preach. Brother, that's the biggest uh, fallacy in the world. That, that's, that's altogether out of different. When God calls a man to preach, he has to leave his plow, he has to leave his workshop, he has to leave whatever he's doing and surrender himself to doing that work. And you'll find that 99 times out of 100, God chooses someone that's very capable of the other work as well as doing the work that he's doing in the ministry. And so this business of thinking that, that this guy, that's all he can do is go down there and depend upon the church to, to support him, and, and that's all he knows how to do. Go straighten the songbooks in the church and sit there until people come in. 
No, not so. Okay, look in chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert. This was no easy work. And he had done this for 40 years. He was 40 years in isolated training. By the way, I was going to give you an overview of Exodus, and I get bogged down. These things are so interesting, but we'll try to hurry along. So look at this. Uh, For 40 years now he'd been doing this. And came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame out of the fire, uh, out of the midst of the uh, flame of fire, out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. You know what this is a picture of? It's a picture of Israel in the fires of affliction, and yet they're not consumed. The fire is a sign of God's presence in this situation. And uh, the fact that Israel was in a, the burning affliction of the furnace of Egypt, and yet not consumed, it was a miracle of God that He would uh, deliver them, and they would not be consumed. And, and God's presence was in that uh, scene that uh, Moses was looking upon, the flame. And he hears a voice. Now look. He looked, and behold, the the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Verse 3, And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burnt. I will now turn aside. Sometimes we need to turn aside from self-ambitiousness to prayer, from all of our self-ambitions, and turn aside to prayer. And from the world to the worship of God. Moses was doing the work, wasn't he? He was keeping the flock. And his ambition might have been at one point in time, the old Jethro was probably very well off, and he said, Now, I'll give you an inheritance here, and you can have all these flocks, and have all. You know, he'd already given him one of his daughters, and they already had a son, stranger in a strange land, and he was prospering, and, and boy, the flocks were growing, and everything. And the world offers many uh, enticements to a man. And yet, Moses turned aside from the world and he turned aside from uh, his he turned aside uh, from his ambitions and he turned aside in prayer he turned aside to God he turned aside for personal service you have to turn aside sometimes from the things of this world to Bible study and to prayer you know the world will keep you plenty occupied if you just want to go for it and I might not sit camp here but I feel like some of these things are important to say uh, you know If you just look at your life in general, if you'd say, now look, do I have time for God? Do I have time for prayer? Do I have time for God's Word? The world would crowd all of that out if you would permit it to. So you're going to have to turn aside and take time for the house of God. You're going to have to turn aside and take time for prayer. And take time for your Bible study. And take time to grow spiritually or you'll never have time. Because the world with its allurements, with its pressures, with the necessities it lays upon you would keep you busy 24 hours a day every day of the year and would never let you have any time for God. So you've got to take time. Sometimes, in, well, like this afternoon, I had to have my wife answering the phone. I said, I can't have any more calls. I said, I'm studying and I don't want any more calls. And, I'll, you know, it seems like when you say that, you get a half a dozen. I think there were five phone calls from the time I said that. And I just wouldn't even answer because I had I was preparing this. I didn't want to shortchange. I never want to shortchange God's people on, on the service night. And I, if I don't take time to prepare, and any preacher has to take time to prepare a service, 
And you can tell whether or not he has too. Don't misunderstand me. So anyway, you, you just must do that and feed God's people with God's Word. And so, and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, when he saw that he turned aside to see, you see, when God saw that he wanted to see something, it says, what? God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. You see, if you really want to hear God, he's there for you to hear. When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, then God called Moses, right? Notice the perfect order. God's not going to press himself upon you. Suppose Moses said, well, that's a beautiful bush, but I'm going to go on my way. I've got to take care of these sheep. He'd have never had this experience. He turned aside. He said, I've got to turn aside and see what God's saying here and what God's doing here. And when he did, God called. Look. God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and, Mo- and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy uh, shoes from thy, off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. He says, This is a holy place. It's a sacred place. And he said, I've made a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he says, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And they were dead long ago. And Jesus uses this in the New Testament to prove that, that uh, there, is, there are heavenly existences after death. Because he says, uh, Jesus said, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when, when uh, God said to Moses, I'm the God of thy father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob... Jesus said concerning the resurrection and concerning life hereafter, He says, For God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So He was as much as saying that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had already passed from this life, this earthly life, into the divine presence of God, and be that where it is or how it is, we still have to admit it's there. We don't know where. We don't know how. There's many mysteries about going out of this life into eternity for the Old Testament saints as well as the New Testament saints. But we have to admit they go to be with God regardless. And then so, uh, some people say, well, it's paradise. Some people say it's an intermediate state and there's all kinds of arguments about this situation. But whatever it is, God makes it very clear that He's the God of the living and they're living unto Him. And now then, in verse 7, and the Lord said, I have seen, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard, look, I have seen, I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Look at those three things. God says, I've seen, He says, I've heard, and He says, I know. That'd be a good sermon, wouldn't it? I've seen, I've heard, and I know. God sees our needs. God hears our cry. God knows how to deal with those things. Regardless of whether we understand or not, His ear is open to our, our prayers. And he looks down upon us and He sees all of our goings. And He's ready to do something about it because He knows just how to deal with it. And what does He say in verse 8? And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. See, He knows what to do, doesn't He? And to bring them 
up out of that land. I'm going to deliver them from uh, Egyptian bondage. I'm going to bring them up out of that land of bondage, out of Egypt, which is a picture, a type of the world. And I'm going to bring them what? Up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Look at that. All the ites. He says, I'm going to bring them into that land of milk and honey. Remember when we studied earlier about the children of Israel and the spies going in to spy out the land to see if it was the land that God spoke of? Right here He told them it was that kind of land. Had they taken Him 40 years earlier, back then, before He even delivered them, at His Word, instead of wandering there in the wilderness, they had known that that was a good land. They'd have gone right on up in there. They wouldn't have worried about when when Moses delivered them, they'd have gone into Canaan. They'd said, well, God said that's a good land. No, they said, now let's send up some spies to spy out the land and see if it's all together like that. You know, we get in a place that God has said something, we think, well, now, is that really true, Lord? I just want to know. Now, now you show me again. I've got to see it again. We're like the Missourian, aren't we? Have to see it, you know. Thomas says, except I see, except I feel, I'll not believe. And remember, Thomas was not in the company and he missed the blessing, wasn't he? If you're not at church, you're going to miss the blessing. Brother Randy and I was talking about it before uh, the church assembly met together tonight. And the, the person that misses the house of God misses the blessing that's there. The fellowship, the love, the prayers, uh, all the blessings. Now, we know there's some can't come for, by reason of certain reasons. And as you grow older, that happens more often than not. And uh, I saw Brother Hurd today, by the way, and remember him in your prayer life, too. Because he says there's a doctor in California, in Orange, California, that's been doing some laser treatment on lungs and restoring some of those uh, cells and things, or at least getting rid of the bad part, so that they can go ahead and, uh, uh, you know, have a new will to live and everything. Those people with emphysema or damaged lungs, and he's been off of his cigarettes for a long time, and he's been trying to do good, and he looked pretty good. And if he could, he says, I may change my my living will <laughs> if I can get, go out there. And, and he did look better, and I think if he can get some of that part taken care of, and since he's straightened his life out about that part, not that he ever did bad things or anything. I'm just saying, you know, cigarettes in time past have damaged. And so what we're saying is let's pray for him that, that uh, he can get something done because he's a very sweet man. But, you know, due to sicknesses, sometimes people can't be at the house of God and they miss the blessing because they're providentially hindered. But when people intentionally say, I'm just not going and choose to do other things, they're going to miss the blessing and they're going to be the one that comes up short. All right, let's look at this. Uh, God says in verse 9, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come up unto me, and, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? You see, Moses felt like he was unworthy of such a calling. But God says, Moses, you're the man that I've called to do this. And the man that God calls to do a certain job, God will equip that man for that service, whatever it is. 
And if God has called you, don't hesitate to, uh, to do what God wants you to do. He will equip you with the proper weapons of warfare to go out and fight the battle. Now in verse uh, 12, and he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people of Egypt, uh, out of Egypt, you shall, serve, you shall serve God upon this mountain. <clears throat> And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I am coming to the children of Israel, and, say, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? You know, Moses is already bringing up the difficulties. He says, Now what am I going to tell them? And God says, uh, God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, uh, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. Remember, Jesus in the book of John says, Before Abraham was I am. This same I am that now in Moses' time, and Abraham's already dead and gone off the scene. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and even Joseph. Okay? And he says, Before Abraham was I am. Jesus was saying, Before any of these patriarchs existed, I was there. And I am the great I am. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the resurrection in the life. And if you go through the book of John especially, you'll find that Jesus said time and time again, I am. If you want a real shocker, you look over where Judas betrayed Jesus in the Gospel of John. And they came to Jesus in the garden. Instead of Jesus saying, you know, when Judas pointed Jesus out, instead of Jesus saying, I am he, that word he is in italics, Jesus says, I am. And they fell back as dead men. You know why they did that? Because they were faced with the sovereign God. They were faced with so much power in Christ that they fell back as dead men when he said, I am. And if you'll notice, he didn't say, I am he. Our version has it, but the word he is in italics. So he literally said to them, I am. And when he said that, they knew that he was claiming to be God of the Old Testament and that with such force and power, they fell back with the power of God or, or the power of God against them in that sense. All right, look at verse 15. And God said, moreover, unto Moses, that... Uh, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Go, and gather the elders of Israel together, and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you, and, and seen that which is done unto you in Egypt, and I have... I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of, of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, God says, Moses, you go tell them just what I've told you, that I'm going to bring you into a good land. And the promise I've made that you'll be there delivered. Verse 18, And they shall... Uh, they shall hearken to, the vo to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And ye shall say unto him, now, this is to Pharaoh, 
Ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice, or worship uh, by sacrifice too, uh, sacrifice to the Lord our God. And this would be their manner of worship, of course. You know, Egypt is a type of the world that enslaves the people of God. And Pharaoh is a type of Satan that has the people of God trapped in in slavery and in imprisonment. But the people of God have a deliverer, don't they? And God says it's on the basis of three days separation from the world. The three days represents the is typical many times in the Bible of what? Death, burial, and resurrection. It's typical of the sacrifice of Christ. And that men and women and boys and girls are delivered through what Jesus has done for us on the cross and having risen from the grave and now we're justified by faith. Delivered for our offenses and raised for our justification. And that's where our deliverance is. And God wanted them delivered. Now in verse 19, And I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? God says, Moses, you go tell him to let you go. Tell him what the demand is, that we have to go three days' journey. And God then turns around and says to Moses, I'm sure that he will not let you go. He's going to put up opposition. I'm sure that he will not let you go. This shows sovereign grace, doesn't it? And foreknowledge that God knows exactly what Pharaoh's going to do and how he's going to respond to this request to let God's people go. You see, God sees all the opposition we face. Sometimes you say, well, I didn't, you know, it looks like if God could see that I was going to have to face this problem or this trial, that he would move it out of the way and I'd go on smooth ground. God sees and he knows all about that. But in due time, after those ten judgments, you remember, and after uh, all the plagues that came upon Egypt, God delivered them with a high hand and brought them out of bondage, didn't he? So let's wait for the time that God does the delivering and meanwhile ask His grace to be able to sustain through the trials that we face. And he says, I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders which I will do in the midst thereof. (coughs) And after that He will let you go. There will be a time He will let you go. There will be a time there will be deliverance. And I will give this people, look at this, favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when you go, you shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And you shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters and you shall spoil the Egyptians. God says, this is going to be your reward when you go All of the wealth of Egypt, much of the wealth, is going with you. In fact, if you'll remember when later on when Moses said to build the tabernacle, they took of all this spoil and God dedicated the gold and the silver and various uh, parts of the spoil, various uh, elements and materials of the spoil to the building of a tabernacle for the children of Israel to worship. In chapter 4, and Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me. Now, first he wanted to know his name, right? Now he said, Well, suppose they don't believe me. You see, we're always facing problems before we, you know, we manufacture problems, don't we? If God said go, they're going to believe you, friend. 
If God said preach, that somebody's going to hear. Now, they won't all hear. They won't all believe. But He knows who will and who won't. And anything God calls you to do, there's going to be a reason for doing it or He wouldn't have called you in the first place. So when He calls you to do something, just do it. Sometimes, you know, you and I, we look at our little small crowd tonight. There have been many people invited. They didn't all come. You know, there have been people invited. And I, I trust that through the week and day by day and week by week, I know you people are inviting as well as Randy and I, and I know that we all mean business in getting them out. But when they refuse to come, we can't help that. But there's a purpose for those that are hearing the Word tonight. And God has a reason for you being here. He has a reason for me being here. And I never worry about that. I sometimes am disappointed because I cannot get more ears to hear. But I know those that are hearing that God meant for them to hear. There's not a question in my mind, but that the Word will not return void because God has said it shall not return void, but will accomplish the purpose wherein do I have sent it. And it may not accomplish it in my lifetime, but it's going to accomplish it down the road somewhere, somehow, some way, because God says it will. And uh, so let's go on with this. It says... Uh, uh, Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken to my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is this that thou, uh, that is in thine hand? And he said, A rod. Just the plain old shepherd's rod. said, A rod. A staff. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. You know, this... Uh, Rod is typical of God's call. Remember, he used this rod to deliver the children of Israel, didn't he? This is typical of the call of God. Now, the call of God thrown down on the ground and left there will be a serpent in the way. It will become a curse. But God said, uh, and Moses fled before it. If God has called you and you throw his, uh, his calling away and say, no, I'll not have it, and you become afraid of it, and you don't follow through, it will become a serpent in the way for you. And it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth uh, thine hand and take it by the tail. Take up that call of God. Take up that rod that you've thrown down. And he put forth his hand and caught it, caught it and it became a rod in his hand. You see, that was, a, that it was as much as Moses accepting the divine call and the miraculous power of God to do the work that God had called him to do. And when you accept that call, and you really and you really mean it, God will use that same calling to empower you to do the work that He's called you to do. And by the way, you want to do it with His power, not just that plain old simple rod anyway, do you? If, if God's anointing or God's blessing and God's power is not in that rod, it wouldn't do any good. You know, Moses could have gone to old Pharaoh with that rod in his hand before God touched it like this. And Moses, uh, Pharaoh would have laughed at him. He, he did anyway, but he finally saw that it was real, didn't he? But the thing about it is, it would have had no power. He couldn't have brought the blood up on the water, right? Turned the water into blood. He couldn't have brought the plagues, frogs and lice and flies and murrain and all the various things and the hail from heaven and the thunder and the lightning and the death of the firstborn and all of these things. He couldn't have done that because it would have been in the flesh. But you see, God had touched this rod. 
When he cast it on the ground, it began to be a serpent. When he took it by the tail, it was his call of God in his hand. And he took it and was willing and able to deliver the children of Israel. He put forth his hand, it caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. <clears throat> Verse 5. That they may believe that the Lord God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. Look, like this. Stick it in your coat like this, in your bosom. Okay. Uh, and he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow, was just covered with leprosy. Now look. And he said, Put thine hand into thy bosom again. He put it back in there. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out, out of, it, uh, of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first son, that they will believe the voice of the latter son. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two sons, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take uh, of the water of the river and pour it upon dry land and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Remember turning the water into blood? So God is giving Moses a foretaste of what he's able to do. He says, these signs will indicate that I've called you, that I've appeared to you, that you have the power to do the work. I love that, don't you? In verse 10, And Moses said unto the Lord, O oh my God, I am not eloquent. <laughs> you know, we just keep on though. First of all, what did he say? He says, Who am I that you should send me? Then he says, What's your name? God, what's your name? I've got to know your name. Remember? And then he says, They're not going to believe me. And now he says, I'm not eloquent. I, I just can't talk. You know, most of us, most of uh, us as we as preachers, if we thought that we had to be on our own in speaking, we'd never speak a word. But God enables us to, as Randy preached one night, he says, don't think of what you have to say. God will help you and put the words in your mouth, and he'll help you to do what he's called you to do. <clears throat> I would have said from the human standpoint many, many years ago, and I don't claim to be eloquent at this point in time, but by God's grace, I'm able to get the message over some way, somehow. But what I'm saying, many years ago, I would have said, I can't preach. I, I'm too bashful. I don't have the words. I don't have the language. I don't, I'm not able to do this. But God called me to preach, and he says, I'll prepare you for it, and I'll help you to do it. And that's what I've trusted in through these years. And by the grace of God, he's enabled me to do what I do. Now, verse 10. Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. In other words, he says, I'm not even able now. You've already called me, and I don't notice any change. <laughs> I'm still not any better. Now look. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. You know what? Moses passed over many advantages and centered on one drawback that he thought he couldn't speak. And you know power is not in man's words, but in God's anyway, isn't it? The power to influence people and the power to get the word or the message over is not in man's words, it's in God's words anyway. And God says preach the word. He doesn't say preach your own words. So we don't have anything to worry about. If we've got His words to preach, why should we worry? Right? If we've got God's Word to preach, and it's His Word that has the power, 
Why should we worry if we can just barely get the message out? If we do it in a stammering and stuttering way, if we do it in an awkward way, God is going to take that and use it. Of course, we're always grateful when he, makes, when he helps us to feel that it makes sense even to ourselves. But his word is the thing that's to be preached. His power overbalances the weakness of man. Whatever weaknesses we may have as ministers or preachers or instruments of God, then we find that his power overbalances that. We're going to find in a little bit that this excuse of Moses uh, kindles the anger of the Lord. Sometimes when we just keep on making excuse for our weaknesses, God says, listen, I'm sick of that. He doesn't want us to do that. Let's read it on down. Look at it. It says in verse... Well, look at verse 10 now. Moses said, let's read it all again. Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant. Uh, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? I've made man's mouth. I've made the deaf and the dumb, the seeing. Look, now therefore go. If I've made them, go. And I will be with thee, with thy mouth. And teach thee, I like that, what thou shalt say. Down in verse 15 it says, And will teach you, look at the last part of verse 15, And will teach you what you shall do. God first says, I'll teach you what you'll say. And then he says, I'll teach you what you shall do. That's important. Now let's follow it on down. I will teach thee what thou shalt say. Verse 13 now, And he said, Oh, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. In other words, give me a spokesman. I need someone else to speak. I don't know how to say it. I don't know what to say. I'm not eloquent of speech. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. He was still making excuse. And he says, choose someone else to do this. Send, I pray, by thy hand of him whom thou wilt send. And the anger, look, verse 14. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Why? Because he kept, he kept insisting on all of his weaknesses and not concentrating upon God's commission and God's power. When we just sit back and say, God, I can't do this and whine around like a baby and say, God, there's no way that I can do this. It's too big a job for me. Or it's too, too hard for me. I don't have the eloquence. I don't have the understanding when we make excuse. When God had already said, I'll be with you and I'll help you and you can do it. And God has promised us that in His service. He's with us. He will help us and we can do it. And we ought to believe it and accept it. But you know, Moses refused first place and he had to take second place. He had to speak the words and then let Aaron... He had to speak the words to Aaron and let Aaron speak the words to the people or to Pharaoh and the Egyptians and however, whatever ministry of words had to be ministered. You see, sometimes we refuse first place when we could have it. And we say, well, I can't do it. And that's a sad situation. Because whatever God has called you to do, it doesn't make any difference how many weaknesses you may center upon. If He calls you to do it, He's going to overrule those weaknesses under His glory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 it says... Howbeit not many mighty men, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Mighty. So you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and see. And it says, These things has God chosen. 
I remember as a little boy growing up here in Riodosa. We were poor, didn't have anything. I'd go to school and it was hard for me to learn. I tried to learn and it was hard. And the teachers tried to help. I had a time in school, honestly. If I made C's, I was doing good. Sometimes I make a B. Sometimes I can make a C minus. They went A, B, C, D, E, and F. I didn't make any F's, or I, not too many that I remember anyway, but I, was, I wasn't high on the totem pole, I'll guarantee you that. But I had to struggle. But you know when I got in Bible school, we only got 98. They give you two 49s, either 49 one semester and 49 the next. Or they'd make one, one grade for both semesters, a 98. They wouldn't give you 100 in Bible school. And I graduated with a 93 and a half average, including the, uh, including English, which was very hard for me. In fact, I almost I almost dropped it one time and said I'll just get the Bible and forget that. But I'm thankful to God I didn't, because I've seen guys murder the King's English. And I'm thankful for this Miss Edmondson. She was uh, over the Texas schools. In fact, she re- she wrote most of the notebook workbooks for all the high schools in in Texas and some of the colleges and we were fortunate enough in a in a Bible Baptist seminary to have her as our English teacher. And it really was a blessing to me because uh, I'll tell you, I needed it tremendously because I really missed out in high school. I was pressured so and then I had to go to the Navy when I was seventeen and I didn't get to finish high school then. I had to come back from the service and go back to high school. And you know, when you've been in the Navy for a couple of years, three years, and then come back and you, with these younger kids, you don't feel in your proper place, and you have to do something to get your education. But anyway, make a long story short, God has a way of working those problems out for us. Let's go on with this. It says in uh, verse uh, uh, 14, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron uh, the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well says, Moses, if you refuse, I know your brother can speak well. Uh, And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. You know, the real trouble with Moses was not slowness of speech, but unwillingness of the heart. He says, I know Aaron will be glad in his heart. Now, Aaron was glad to do this job. Sometimes our excuse is not the excuse we make, but it's our unwillingness to do it for God. And so we might check on that sometimes and say, am I willing to do what God wants me to do? And that was Moses' problem here. He was making all these excuses, but really had he been willing, God would... He says, I will be with thy mouth. Hadn't he promised that? He says, I will give you the words to say. I'll tell you how to say them. And I'll enable you. He says, have not I made man's mouth and man's tongue and the blind and the deaf and all, I can, I can do all this. It was a lack of trust in the power of God and an unwillingness on the part of Moses. And in verse 15, it says, And thou shalt speak unto him, that is Aaron, and put, put words in his mouth. Now, isn't this an awful thing? Moses had to do the talking anyway. He had to tell Aaron what to say. If you're going to have to tell the next guy what to say, why don't you just say it yourself? <laughs> 